Come on. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be Ephesians, Philippians. You can find it there in the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter number four. Uh, we're talking to, you know, I've, I've mentioned this in the early service. And you've seen one of those cans that it says, warning, contents under pressure. I've seen some people the last couple of weeks. They need that same warning label on them. Warning, contents under pressure. Right? I've never seen so many stressed out people in my life. Now, there's this well-known uh, kind of scale. It's the home stress scale. And it's well-known for kind of ranking the most stressful events in somebody's life. Uh, you know, like uh, the death of a spouse, uh, a divorce, being laid off, losing a job. Right, Really stressful events in the life of a person. And one of years and years of studying this scale and gathering data, they have found that there's one time of year that is far more stressful than any other time of the year. Can you guess what time of year that is? The playoffs. Amen. Your team's not in it, brother. Mine either. Listen, look at this next slide. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's is by far the most stressful time of the year. As a matter of fact, more preachers quit between Thanksgiving and New Year's than any other time of the year. Now, would you agree with that? Now, the holidays are often incredibly stressful. And the one time of year where we're supposed to <clears throat> not be stressed out while you're worried about presents and you're worried about finances and you're worried about the parties you're going to have to go to. You're worried about seeing those relatives that you don't really want to see, right? There's a lot of things to be worried about. The stress level just goes up significantly. But it's the time of year where we're supposed to be thankful and thank God for all of our blessings and, and we're supposed to be the most worshipful, the most grateful, the most thankful, and then most of us are just absolutely stressed out. So the question for us this morning is, how do we fix that? What do we do about that? Why are we so stressed at this time of year? What's the remedy? God's word, God's word tells us, look in Philippians chapter 4, look at verse number 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Say that verse with me on the count of three. One, everybody look at me. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now that's kind of easy to say, isn't it? But it's not always easy to do, but we can do that. Paul teaches us, go down to verse number six. Verse number six, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, I wonder how many of us, uh, after we just come out of Thanksgiving, we just came out of Christmas, and this week is New Year's, I wonder how many of us could tell those around us the things which you have learned and received and heard, the things that you saw in me this Christmas, that's what you should do. How many of us could say that? The truth is we're stressed out, but what the Apostle Paul here gives us are four steps, four keys uh, to fixing this problem. And, and uh, step number one, write this down. You're welcome for this. Worry about nothing. 
Worry about nothing. Now, again, that sounds easy, but I'm also well aware that some of you are abs- you're already worried before I even started this message because you know that you worry too much and you're worried about how much you're worrying. You're stressing out about how much you stress out. One of the greatest worries in your life is that somehow, some reason, you can't stop worrying. Yet, God's Word here, look at it in verse number 6. The first part, God's Word says, Be anxious for nothing, not a nothing. Again, it's easy to say. We've talked about this before many times, and I hope you learn it this time and will apply it to our lives. But is there anything worse than somebody saying, Hey, man, don't worry about it. Has that ever worked? Hey, don't stress out. Everything's fine. Oh, okay, my bad. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think? Oh, just don't stress out. Now all my problems are solved. Listen, it's no wonder that we're stressed out. This morning, I got up at 5 o'clock, 5 a.m. this morning, because an alarm went off. An alarm. Here's my phone. Like you have an alarm clock or you set an alarm. Is that not the most cruel invention that's ever been invented? We call it an alarm because you wake up like this. And then you got to try to calm down. I'm going to have a quiet time, right? You start your day with it. There's no wonder we're stressed out. But God's Word says be anxious for nothing. Now, Dr. Walter Calvert did research with that home scale, did research on what people worry about. And it's like literally decades of research that they put into this. I want to share with you some statistics. Look at this next slide. 40% of the stuff that you worry about ain't even going to happen if I can talk a little West Tennessee. It's not going to happen, right? So look, four out of the 10 things you're worried about, you might as well just throw them away. They're not going to happen. You're worrying about stuff that's absolutely never going to happen. Look at this next slide. 30% of your worries have to do with the past. They have to do with yesterday. So we spend all of our time worrying and stressing about yesterday when it doesn't change anything to do with yesterday. Worrying about the past doesn't change the past. It ruins the present, but it doesn't affect the future at all. You can't change anything by worrying about the past. So that means 70% of the stuff you're worried about shouldn't even be worried about, but it gets worse. Look at this next slide. 12% of the stuff you're worried about are needless health concerns. In other words, you're spending too much time on WebMD, chasing down every symptom, right? Every time you have a little, you you burp funny, you think you're having a heart attack, right? You wake up because you know you're getting older and you wake up and your arm's numb. You think, wait a minute, is this arm the heart attack arm or what, what am I doing? You're worried about things that aren't even happening, health concerns that aren't even uh, up. True in your life at all. No reason to be worried about it. It's like the hypochondriac who had written on his tombstone, told you I was sick. Amen? That's you. All right, look at look, look, the next slide. 10% of your worries are insignificant. It just doesn't matter. Why are you worried about it? Like this morning, you're already worrying if your breakfast tomorrow is going to taste good, right? Why are you worried about that? Stop it, right? You're just worrying about stuff that just does not matter, right? you got bigger problems to worry about, like how long this sermon's going to be. Amen? Look at the next slide. Only 8% of your worries are actually legitimate. Like 8% of the things that the average person worries about and is concerned about are significant. All right? Like something that could actually like happen. Like this sermon could go longer than you think. Right? Only 8%. So 92% of the things that you're worried about are things you just statistically speaking should not even be concerned about. What is worrying? Look at this next slide. Worrying is simply stewing without doing. Doesn't accomplish 
anything. It never has. It never will. There's no such thing as born warriors. I mean, you learned it from somewhere. You learned it from your parents. You learned it from your peers. You learned it from experience. But you learned how to worry from somewhere, right? And so the good news is because you learned it, you can unlearn it. You can learn new things, and you can learn how not to worry. And here's the key to not worrying. Look at the next slide. Live one day at a time. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with planning for the future. It doesn't have anything to do with not being prepared for tomorrow or anything like that. But it's the fact that today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will, be, I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that I have. I'm not even promised tomorrow. Look what Jesus told you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. Focus on today's issues, today's problems. And it's interesting, when you look at the book of Philippians, when Paul is writing the book of Philippians, do you know where he was? In prison. And he's saying, don't worry about it. Yet we're sitting on our couch in our climate-controlled homes, watching our giant screen TV, watching two football teams that aren't wearing the right color orange. And, yet, and we're worried about things. And Paul is sitting in prison, and he's saying, man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, man, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Now, God, the interesting thing about God is this. Whenever he's, okay, we think of God as the thou shalt not God. But every much, just as much as God is the thou shalt not, he's the thou shalt. Whenever God says don't do this, he always says do this. So God says don't worry about nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about nothing, but I want you to do this. Write this down. He says you can pray about everything. Pray about everything. Everything everything. Instead of worrying, you should pray. Look at verse number six. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now people say, I don't have, brother Marcus, I don't have time to pray. If you, instead of worrying, replace the time that you spend worrying with praying, you will find you've got a lot less to worry about. Matter of fact, we're going into a new decade, a new year. In 2020, let me challenge you. Don't add any prayer time to your New Year's resolutions. Just decide that every time you worry, you're going to pray. Right? If you've got time to worry about it, then you've got time to pray about it. And if you begin praying every time that you worry, you're going to have a whole lot less to worry about. Worry is the alarm clock. Is the alarm clock saying you need to pray. You need to pray. And, but notice he says in everything. Sometimes we think God only cares about the religious stuff. Like, am I sharing Jesus? Am I inviting people to church? God only cares about the religious stuff. No, God cares about everything about you. He's interested in every detail of your life. He knows all the details. And he wants to be involved in all the details. Scripture teaches us that even the hairs on your head is numbered. I said yours, because I don't... Hush up, there's some bears going to come out and get you. Listen, there's nothing that you cannot, okay, if you, don't, if you don't get that reference, come to Sunday school. Amen? Look at this next slide. Again, if it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. If it's worth spending the energy stressing and worrying and anxiety, then it's worth taking that moment and bringing it to God in prayer. There's nothing in your life that's insignificant to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting, what, what's that word? All your care upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. 
I re- recently, well, it was a couple years ago, read about a life insurance company. They said that if you attend church every week, that you live an average of 5.7 years longer than people who don't. Right? All the pagans. Amen? You live 5.7 years longer than those who don't attend every week. Like, don't you just feel healthy right now? Right? All those Christmas calories, none of them counted. Amen? Just by coming to church today, we burned all of them. I wish that was true. Listen, but let, check it out. So 5.7 years. Now, this is a statistical fact, right? It's, it's true. Now, why is it? I believe that the reason why people who attend church weekly live on average 5.7 years longer than people that don't, I believe because they cast all their cares upon Jesus. They, they unload, they decompress, they have an opportunity to come and to be reminded to give God their worries. Write this down. If you don't talk it out with God, you'll take it out on yourself. If you don't talk it out with God, you're absolutely going to take it out on yourself. If you don't talk it out with God, you're going to take it out on your spouse. If you don't talk it out with God, you're going to take it out on your children. If you don't talk it out with God, you're going to take it out on all the people that you say that you care about. That's who's, going to, that's, that's who's going to pay the price for you refusing to take your worries and your cares to God. All the people in your life that you say that you love, they're going to pay a price for your sin. When you swallow your worries, your stomach keeps score. You've got to let go. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. I heard a preacher talk about this recently. And we're talking about our anxieties and our worries and our stresses. And one of the reasons why you don't experience the peace of God in your life, listen to me, the reason why you're not experiencing the peace of God that you read about in Scripture is because you've confused the peace of God with perfection. You've confused the peace of God with perfection. Right? When everything's just right and when I get through the next thing and, I, and, and when the kids move out of the house or when this happens, I get the bills paid. When I re- you, you confuse the peace of God with a perfect moment that is never coming. Matter of fact, there's that verse that uh, prophesies about Christ coming and it says that he's going to lead us on the path of peace. And it doesn't say that he's going to lead us to peace. It's a path of peace. Why? Because we're walking with him. If you're waiting for the perfect moment to have the peace of God, if you're waiting for the perfect moment, number three, write this down, to thank God in all things, it's never coming. It's never going to come on this side of eternity. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Whenever you pray, you should always pray in thanksgiving. The healthiest human emotion is not love, it's gratitude. It's not love, it's gratitude. Grateful people are happy people. It's not that happy people are grateful people. Grateful people are happy people. And ungrateful people are miserable absolutely miserable and they make everybody miserable around them nothing's ever good enough nothing ever measures up and never will nothing will ever uh, just match what they believe should be happening if you cultivate this attitude this heart of gratitude of being thankful it just it, it'll make everything in your life better you know that song count your count your blessings name them one but i'm not gonna say name them one by one that would be a good exercise for you to do before you hit 2020 
to sit down this afternoon and begin to make a list of all the things that you're grateful for, all the blessings of God in your life. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, I could come up with two or three things. Listen, that list would get so long, you'd get tired of writing before you ended up not having anything else to be grateful for, to be thankful for. Now, sometimes people ask me, they're like, Brother Marcus, what's God's will for my life? I can tell you right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will for you is to live a life of gratitude. Now, right there, you see, you got to underline In everything give thanks. One of the important part of understanding this is not misunderstanding what it's actually saying. It's not saying give thanks for everything. There are things we're not going to give thanks for. If I leave here today and I get a flat tire, I'm not going to go, thank you, Jesus, for the flat tire. If I get in a car wreck, thank you, Jesus, for the wreck. I might thank him that it wasn't worse, but I'm not going to thank him for the wreck. I'm not, you don't thank God for sin in the world, right? If my kids get murdered tomorrow, I'm not going to be thankful for that. If my wife gets sick tomorrow, I'm not going to be thankful for that. When two countries go to war, I'm not thankful for that. God never has called us to be thankful for sin and ugliness that's in the world. That's not Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not realistic. But he has called us to give thanks in everything. Not for everything, in everything. And there's a big difference. Because even God can bring good out of bad. God can bring good from bad situations. No, no matter what the circumstance, I can always give thanks in. No matter how bad it is, I can give thanks to God, because well, look at this first thing that I came up with, because I know he's got a, a purpose that's bigger than my problems. What I mean is this, this micro thing, this, this thing that's macro in my life, this problem that's a big deal is a small deal to our mighty God. And his macro purposes and his plans are not going to be thwarted by my problems. I know that God ultimately has bigger purposes for me in my life than whatever this problem is. Look at this next slide. That he will give me the power to overcome the problem. That doesn't mean not to fix the problem, not to not have problems. But when I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have the Holy Spirit of God living in me, leads me, guides me, right? He leads me on the path of peace. When I have Christ with me, I've got resurrection power. And my God will get me through this to the destination that he has for me when I'm surrendered to him. And that leads us to the next one. Look at this next slide. And I have to choose to grow through the experience. I mean, if I allow it to help me grow. In other words, if I go through this experience alone, no growth. But if I go through it with Christ, leaning on Christ, trusting Christ, right? Trusting what he's doing in my life, through my life, for my life. This is a big theological word. We call it sanctification. It means becoming more like Jesus. I can allow this to make me more like Christ or more like the world. So in every circumstance, I can be thankful in it because I know that God is greater than my problems. You want to know what God's will for your life is? In everything, give thanks. If you're not experiencing an attitude of gratitude, if you're not a grateful, humble, thankful person, you're outside of the will of God. You are absolutely outside of God's will for your life. And so sometimes we ask, well, how can I be grateful? Because the holidays is a time where we remember what we've lost. And you think, how can I be grateful when I've lost so much? I've lost a job. I've lost a spouse. I've lost uh, something has happened. How can I be thankful? Sometimes, sooner or later, you've got to stop looking at what you've lost and seeing what you've got left. 
You need to see what God has blessed you with. You have an awful lot left. Gratitude is a stress reliever because it gets your eyes off the problem and gets your eyes on King Jesus. So I worry about nothing. I pray about everything. I give thanks in all things. Number four, write this down. But I've got to think about the right things. None of that will happen unless I discipline my heart and my mind to think about the right things. Look at verse number eight. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He said, these are the things you should think about. Whatever you put in is going to come out. Garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you feed your mind, whatever uh, you're in injecting your life with, that's what you're going to become like. He's saying if you want to change your life, you need to change what you're thinking about. If you get your social quota, if you, get, if you fill your social tank on gossip, you're going to be a bitter, ugly, gossipy person who is ungrateful and ugly on the inside. What you're putting in is what's going to come out. If you're getting your self-worth from social media, likes, comments, and shares instead of scripture, you're going to have problems. If, listen, if you're trying to get your validation, right, you get your validation from your Instagram account, and then you go on there, and she had that perfect Christmas, and all her kids were so pretty, matching pajamas, and their hair was perfect, and they were so cute, and it was the best tree ever, and the lighting was just good, and they looked like the most angelic little family ever. And you look at Instagram, and then you look at your family, and your kid is running around and tidy whities and, and he's chewing on the box the present came in and you think, oh, I'm a failure. Listen, if you go to social media to get your validation of who you are, then you're going to be messed up. The picture's never going to line up with reality. You need to fix your mind on the right things. That involves a deliberate, conscious choice of focusing on things that matter, focusing on the right things and not the wrong things. Why is it that we can take two people, two people very similar, put them in the same situation, one of them's going to completely melt down and fall apart, and the other person is going to get through it just fine, or at least look like it? Look at this next slide. Often, it's not the problem, it's your response. It's how you respond to the problem, how you're choosing to look at the problem, how you're choosing to look, through what, look at what you're going through right now is the source of your stress. Most of the time, your problem is not the problem. Your problem is how you respond to the problem because you have not disciplined yourself to feed on the right things. Instead, you're feeding on all the wrong things so that when the stress hits, you get the wrong results. I, I, I've said this in the first service. Have you ever bit somebody's head off that didn't deserve it? Like maybe somebody you're married to? I've never done that. Alicia does it all the time. Amen. All the time. It's brutal. Y'all pray for me. But listen, here's what I've noticed. Anytime that I've snapped at somebody, anytime that I bit somebody's head off, it almost always had nothing to do with them. It had to do with that back there. Something else. And then it just released on these people. Why? Because it's not the problem. It's how we respond to the problem. What are we feeding on? What are we focusing on? You've, we got to discipline ourselves to think the right way. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. 
So what do you think about? What do you focus on? What is dominating the attitude of your heart? Whatever you think about the most, that's what you're becoming. We always move towards what we're focused on. If you're focused on negativity and bitterness and the ugly things of this world, you're going to have negativity, bitterness, and the ugly things of this world coming out of your heart and showing up in your life. What is dominating the attitude of your heart? If you want to become more like Christ, you got to love what Christ loves. you got to desire what Christ desires for you. You've got to spend time in his word and everything. You need to bring, bring your petitions before him with gratefulness and with thankfulness and not worrying about all these other things that just don't matter. To become more like Christ. So when the stress comes, you respond the right way instead of snapping somebody's head off. Why did you do that? Because that's what was on the inside. It just comes out. So what are the results? To worry about nothing and, and to pray about everything and thank God in all things and to kind of keep my mind on the right things, to discipline myself, to not fill my life with negativity. What's the result? Look at verse 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's it. The peace of God. The peace of God. So when we, when we absolutely we decide we're not going to be anxious for anything, we're not going to worry about things that God hasn't put on our plate, we're going to pray about everything, we're going to be thankful in all things, and when we're going to fill our mind and our heart and our lives with the right things, the result, God promises, guarantees that we can have the peace of God in our life. And that's what everybody's looking for, but it's just amazing uh, that where we go to find it. God's peace is God's gift for you if you want it. So how do I get that peace of mind where, where it keeps me calm in a crisis? I don't stress out. I'm not snapping on people. I can be thankful even in difficult moments. How do I get that kind of peace? Well, it's right there. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save your soul, heal you, and make you whole. Only Christ. And when he's done that... You can lean in. You can trust him. When you allow him to be the center of your life, when you're worried about your health and your finances and your relationships and your marriage and your children and your career and the future, when you've put Christ where he belongs in the center of your life and you lean on him more and more, becoming more like Christ, less like the world, you find that peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This is what God is freely offering you this morning. His peace that surpasses all under, understanding. Or you can just keep doing what you've been doing. And you're just going to keep getting what you've always gotten, which is what this world has to offer. How is that working? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I do pray for your peace of mind and your calmness of spirit. Lord, I pray that your people here this morning will hear your voice from your word and trust you with their anxieties and their stresses and all of their concerns. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. No looking around. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for those around you. But those of you this morning, you know that you're saved. You know that you've been born again. You've trusted Christ. You know that God has saved you, that he has redeemed you. And this morning, our, our, our prayer, our application prayer this morning is really simple. For all of you, you're a believer. You've trusted Christ. Your, your prayer is this. God, take my worries. Give me 
your peace. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hand up all over the congregation. I want to pray for all of us. Father God, just pray right there in your seat. Father God, help us not to be worried about all these things that just don't seem to matter. Lord, help us to give our concerns and our prayers. Lord, is to give you our anxieties and our worries, to cast our cares upon you. Lord, may we, your people, understand that you want us to bring everything to the table. Lord, the things that worry us, the details. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to be grateful. Lord, that we would have just a heart of gratitude. Lord, we want to be able to thank you in every situation that we know that we're not alone. God, that you're with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, help us to focus on the right things, on good things. Lord, forgive us for our negativity. God, just our, our, our sinful bent towards the things of the world. Lord, help us to discipline ourselves, to spend time in your word, to spend time with you in prayer, to fill our mind on the right things. And God, we just pray for your promise of peace. That as we follow you and we serve you and we love you, God, we just pray for that peace that surpasses all understanding. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed, just a moment. There are those of you here this morning, you don't know that you're saved. You don't know that you've been forgiven. You don't have that peace of God. If I asked you, do you have that? You really couldn't say, yes, I know that I know. Listen, guys, God has you here for a reason. Would you look up for just a second? You know, one of the reasons that many people never get to the place where they trust Christ, one of the reasons is they don't really believe that God loves them. They don't really believe that God loves them, right? Because you know yourself and you've sinned and you've done things. You've had bitterness in your heart, hatred in your heart. And it's difficult to wrap our mind around this fact that God would love us. Because if you were being really honest, you don't love yourself. You don't love yourself. This idea that God would send his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me. For me, seems like a bad trade, doesn't it? The truth is, is that Christ loves you. And there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. He loves you. There's no debate. Matter of fact, I love these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How can you know that God loves you? Well, it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And all you have to do is look at the cross and you know Jesus loves you because he died for you and he died for me. But we get convinced that we're some kind of special sinner. Because especially this time of year, you know, you were supposed to feel holy at Christmas, weren't you? And you didn't, did you? You were, you were stressed out. Maybe some bitterness was sitting in there. Maybe you weren't grateful, right? And in your heart, you know that you are far from God. And you don't really believe that God loves you. God did send his son, born of a virgin, just like we talk about at Christmas. 
born without that sin nature that you and I have. See, we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. Christ lived that perfect, sinless life, never sinned, man. Lived just like you, the same pressures, right? The same problems, the same issues. Yeah, he never sinned so that he could go to the cross, perfect, sinless lamb of God, and to pay the price for our sins. See, that's what's required, perfection. And in your heart, you know, look at me, you know somebody has to pay, don't you? It's, we have this judgment chip in our life where we know somebody has to pay. When somebody does something bad, you know they need to pay. Somebody murders somebody, they need to pay. And you're, you've sinned. Again, anger and bitterness, lying and lust and adultery and all the things that we've done. And in your heart, you know somebody's got to pay. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus paid it all. That when he went to Calvary, he took your sin upon himself because he was perfect where you failed. He was righteous where you were unrighteous. And on the third day, he was resurrected and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, proof that God the Father accepted his sacrifice for your sins and for mine. The only question isn't, does God love me? Yes. Will God save me? Yes. But you have to trust them. Just like at Christmas, when you, somebody gives you a gift, you just receive that gift. This morning, you have to receive that gift. It's not automatic. It's not going to just happen. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. Scripture teaches us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is the only way that you could ever be saved and forgiven. And he loves you. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love except you. If you die and go into an eternity without Christ, you'll be eternally separated from God. He'll put his no with your no forever. But that's not then. This is now. Right now. You can choose Christ. Won't you trust Jesus today? Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Be respectful. You're here this morning and you know, Brother Marcus, I need Jesus, man. All right, Brother Marcus, I need, I need to know that I know. I need to nail it down. Listen, God's got you here for this reason. And I want to pray with you. I will not call you out. I will not single you out. Man, if you've been here before, you know we don't do that. But I just want the privilege of praying with you. And so right now, sitting there in your seat, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. Right there in your seat, you want to just raise your hand as a sign of, yep, Brother Marcus, I want to pray to receive Jesus Christ right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you raise your hand right now? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Who else? God bless you. Listen, even if you weren't one of those that just raised their hands, and in this moment you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, why don't you pray a prayer like this? It's not the words. It's you humbling yourself before God. And you can just simply say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I sin. I do dirt. I do it on purpose. Lord, I'm a sinner. But God, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I surrender to all of you. Save me, Jesus. Not based on me or my goodness, but Christ alone. Save me, Jesus. Listen, I want you to know you pray a prayer like that. You do business with God. He just saved you, redeemed you. You've been eternally forgiven. And the first thing that God asks us to do when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior is to follow through in baptism, to go public. 
I want to encourage you to do that. Or maybe you've prayed that prayer at some other point, right? You've given your heart to Christ, but you've never made that decision public. God calls us to be baptized. And so why don't you come this morning and we'll schedule that time for you and celebrate with you. But you need to follow through in biblical believers' baptism. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that your salvation and your baptism are on the wrong side. The order that we're given in Scripture is you are saved and then you are baptized. You need to get that right so that you can have a clean conscience uh, before God going into the next decade. It's an act of obedience. Won't you come this morning and we'll schedule that time and pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and Grace Baptist Church is your church family. This is your church home. And it's time to make it official. Put on the jersey. Be a part of the team right here at Grace. Serve, grow, connect, minister right here from Grace Baptist Church. Is God calling you here? Why don't you come this morning? We'll celebrate and pray with you. Maybe this morning as we go into this time of invitation, it's the last Sunday of 2019. Maybe there's something that you need to leave in this decade going into the next one. I want to encourage you during this invitation, do business with God. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me?